from the heart of the Forest City, focusing on the biggest stories in London, this is the Craig Needles Podcast. Now here's your host, Craig Needles. It is the Craig Needles Podcast. It is the Friday Roundtable here at ClassicRock981.com, LondonNewsToday.ca, wherever you get your podcast, And we are joined here in the studio by former city councilor Hollywood Cheryl Miller. Steve Holland, the president of QP Local 101, is here, as is the deputy mayor of the city of London, Sean Lewis. Hello, everybody. Hi. Hello. Hey, Craig. Please don't be surprised if I break down into tears. Why are you going to break down into tears, Cheryl? Because I just went to my accountant and oh. paid my fucking taxes. <laughs> so Trudeau can go on another... Yeah. <laughs> just to be clear, your federal taxes. We haven't set your municipal tax rate yet. No, my, no, no. Well, no, We're going to talk about but, that later But I know podcast. what I get prevent, from municipals. I don't know how to get federally. Well, nothing. Uh, you have paid a very, very, very small fraction of the price of bringing a Volkswagen battery plant to the city of St. <laughs> Thomas, Cheryl. So thank you for doing that. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. Uh, that cost, by the way, folks, is $13 billion. And as we do this roundtable, they've only wrapped up the event, but Doug Ford and Justin Trudeau were at uh, the Railway Museum in St. Thomas talking about Volkswagen. And Ford and Trudeau are having a great time together. They're shaking hands. They're talking about how great the other guy is, which I know is not something everybody <laughs> wants to hear because there's a lot of folks that want to like one or the other. You're not supposed to like both, but here we are. Uh, I'm sure Pierre Polyev is not happy that, uh, if, if, that they're shaking hands and being buddies today. Pierre Polyev is probably not very pleased by those photo ops, if I'm being honest. We'll talk about that, too. Uh, but the photo ops are there. The spending is there. We've got the Volkswagen plant coming to St. Thomas. It'll start operating in 2027. Up to 30,000 spinoff jobs is what we're being told. My question is, for $13 billion with a B dollars, is that worth it, Cheryl? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, and it surprises you. To I'm a little bit that. surprised that. Yeah. 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 Okay. First of all, if you think about it, <clears throat> I remember during the pandemic, everybody saying, you know, we're going to have to open up. We're going to have to start manufacturing more things in Canada. We're, so, we're going to have to start looking after ourselves. We're going to start um, opening up for business because if we don't open up for business, we don't prosper. I heard that for two years, and I heard it from both levels of government. <clears throat> so what happens is Volkswagen plays the game. But let's face it, they all do. Joe Biden says, I'll give you $13 billion. And Trudeau said, I'll match it. And Volkswagen, to their credit, understands and knows it's better to locate in southwestern Ontario and bring in thousands of jobs to an area that's really comfortable with manufacturing jobs. So, uh, you know, someone was going to get it. And right now, today, we got it. And it's going to open up southwestern Ontario. It's going to change the dynamics in London and St. Thomas and Elmer. And I think they should start talking about amalgamation. Well, that's, <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk. To, let's see if Joe Preston wants to amalgamate. See how he feels about that. Oh, yeah. Why? Let's see. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not going to talk about amalgamation. <laughs> Chicken. <laughs> <laughs> you know, two, just honestly, two-tiered municipalities are, are a giant headache. I wouldn't want to be a part of one, to be quite honest. But uh, that aside, uh, yeah, I think this is a, this is a good investment. Yes, it's a lot of money, no doubt about it. Uh, but when you think about uh, you know, the future in terms of the transition to electric cars. When you think about the number of jobs, and, and we're talking spin-off jobs right now of 30,000. 30, 30,000 is the estimate, yes. Mm -hmm. um, 
But let's not kid ourselves. There are supply chain uh, companies out there right now yep. who are chasing Volkswagen for even more contracts, and, and that means more spin-off jobs. And this is a benefit not just to St. Thomas. This is a benefit to the entire region. The same way Maple Leaf Foods is a benefit to the yeah. entire re- London region. London will get benefit yeah. from this. I, I mean, oh, there are people huge. in St. Thomas who live closer to Maple Leaf Foods than people in North London. Uh, people are going to work at Maple Leaf Foods from all over the region. And the same is true of the Volkswagen plant. It is not just going to be St. Thomas uh, residents who get those jobs. It is going to be people from all over the region. And it is going to be a a very, very good thing for this economy, for this region. Uh, To Cheryl's point, made in Canada manufacturing. Yes. Let's get back to that. You know, we've seen how many tens of thousands of jobs get offshored to cheap labor, low environmental standards markets all around the world. Let's get back to, I have no problem with the the old sort of auto pack deal with the US or the North American Free Trade Agreement where we're working back and forth because access to that American market obviously for Volkswagen is important. Our geographic location was a huge advantage in landing this because now they have access to the Canadian market uh, as well as really easy access to the American market. but let's get back to that, making it here in North America, where the environmental standards are good, where the, the wages are good for the employees, and where we have supply for our own consumers. Right. So that when that next pandemic comes, and I know we don't want to think about it, but sooner or later, something else will come along that will shut down that sort of just-in-time free trade mentality that got us into the supply chain problems in the first place. So the more manufacturing we can do in-house here in Canada uh, and I know that, that actually uh, MP Lindsay Matheson has reintroduced uh, an updated version uh, of her mother's former made in Canada bill um, we need to get back to allowing municipal provincial governments and the federal government to provide some you know incentives some bonusing some credit in procurement uh, bids for local Mm-hmm. Of course we so do. So that the jobs are staying sure. in the region and we're creating that circular economy where the employees are spending their money here, supporting the servers, the retail workers, all of those folks. So Bonusing has return on investment. And think of Ford, how many people in London worked at Ford? I, I mean, there's a lot. And, and, and do you want to get your thoughts on this? Next? I, I just look at this and say, this is a $13 billion. And it's not all just like, here's a big cash payment. There's some subsidies. There's some yeah. tax breaks. Things like that. It's $13 billion going to a company based in Germany. And I wonder, would there be a better way to spend $13 billion in, and this is obviously money being spent in Canada, but spend $13 billion on something else to, uh, that would have a greater impact on Canadian society than this. Is there Was there a better way to spend the $13 billion? I, I saw someone uh, tweeting today, like you could open... Uh, uh, you could open 26 state-of-the-art mental health hospitals for $13 billion. You could do that right now if you want, instead of spending $13 billion this way. I know that you could make that argument with literally anything. You can spend $13 billion to get a lot of things. But is this the most efficient way to spend it? Steve, what do you think? Would you trust uh, Doug Ford to invest anything on your behalf that might benefit <laughs> the, the community? Up to this point in time, only his friends are benefiting. Um for me, this is an investment. It's an investment in, in, in jobs and opportunities for people, and I think that that's how we have to look at it. I, I personally wouldn't trust the government, and again, sorry, I'm saying that, John, you're here too, um, 
I, I'm talking about those levels of the government to to invest our the money. partisan levels of government. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they just, they haven't done a whole lot for us. If anything, cut, cut, cut. And, you know, and again, I'm saying that, you know, obviously based on my experience and I, I worry that they wouldn't, they'd mess it up. So at least here, we know that the investment is going to create jobs and opportunities in manufacturing at least. And, and who knows what spinoffs may come from that as well. So personally, I, I, I like the idea, you know, yes, it's a lot of money. I get people's concerns. But we also voted these people in to do something, and, and they're doing something, and sometimes we have to accept those things. And well, the other thing I'd say is, you know, with all due respect, you're not building 26 state-of-the-art mental health hospitals no, because who's going go to there. be there to provide the services? Correct. Well, if you're spending half a billion, if you're spending half a billion dollar on each, you'd have some money to pay people to provide the but services. That's not but what we it's... don't have the trained, like, yeah. but we've got not, a workforce that's... that can go into the Volkswagen plant tomorrow if it was ready to open. But that But we don't billion. have a workforce that can start running mental health hospitals tomorrow. That 13 billion isn't there. It's only there because we're going to subsidize and look after yeah. employment So it's $13 billion you're not taking in. But yeah, I, I, yeah, I in, a, in, in a real way, yes. The, the tax breaks that they're getting and those kind of things, it's not actually we're giving yeah, them cash. No. There is they're a, not yeah. paying a couple bills. Right. Yeah. And that's okay because you're going to employ people in a good paying job. And also we never talked about is the offshoot in mining. I mean, tremendous amount of mining opportunities in Canada. Now that we've got a place that the product can go to, <clears throat> like it's it's going to affect a lot of Canadians, and people are not seeing this. So, yeah, it's thirteen billion could be, do all kinds of things. It could have paid my income tax, but it didn't. It went to bring something to Ontario that we badly need. That's a pretty steep income tax bill you got there, Cheryl. <laughs> 13 billion is a lot of money. Well, I had to dig deep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, it, it comes back to sort of a, a conversation surrounding the term corporate welfare, which, you know, we, we, we mentioned Maple Leaf, and that was part of it as well. And I think, like, ethically, not even ethically, but my, my first look at these things is, hey, let's not do it. We don't need to give taxpayer dollars to corporations but at the same time you have to if you're going to do that you're a going to miss out on a lot of stuff like this or b you've got to get every other municipality and every other jurisdiction be it ontario be it michigan be it the united states wherever to to make the same pledge and make the same promise otherwise you're just not going to be competitive so i i understand from the perspective of various levels of government and again this is not necessarily a a, a partisan thing you pick a, a party they they've all done deals like this one maybe not to this magnitude but deals like this one uh, I, I i i get why that you have to do it to be competitive i just wish that all the various north american jurisdictions would band together and say hey we're not going to do this anymore we're going to make these companies pay for their own thing God, you, like s- the, you sound like the ndp i sound you're naive living in, you're, you're living in a dream world i i get everybody wants it uh, yeah and therefore someone's going to pay for it it's right. it's like the sports stadium thing Yep. Sports stadiums, for the most part, are bad investments for if you're if you're not not like Budweiser Gardens because we yeah. still own Budweiser Gardens. It's yes. different than buying a sports stadium for a billionaire is typically a bad investment. Mm-hmm. However, if you don't, you're going to lose your team or the team's going to go somewhere. So I understand the, the the push and pull there. Just 
Can't. Ugh. That's a bad example because you don't have spinoffs at a stadium. That's true. It's not I mean, the same. The You're massive right. spinoffs, the employment opportunities, and once Volkswagen gets here, then the word's out in Europe. Hey, Ontario is a good place to be. They're an ambassador. If you look down <clears throat> Veterans Memorial and you see all the industries that relocated to London from Germany a long time ago because it was a good place to go. So that's just naturally ca- carrying on. And don't think they weren't given subsidies at the time. And at that point, we needed business. We needed opportunities and employment. So, yeah. It worked well, and this is going to work well, too. Well, and and that's it. Manufacturing matters. And at the end of the day, if we're not creating those good manufacturing jobs, we are going to continue to have real struggles because those folks are going to pay income taxes. They're going to pay uh, property taxes. They're going to pay consumer taxes at the cash register. And all of those things feed into the government's revenue to be able to invest more in healthcare, in education. Now, you might not trust the current government in in Queen's Park to make those investments, but at least it is generating that revenue stream, uh, much more so than, and, you know, no disrespect because we need people, you know, uh, who are are making coffee in the morning and and making breakfast sandwiches and that too. But those jobs do not have the same impact in the economy that a good paying manufacturing job that is a 40 hour a week, steady shift work job, brings back into the economy so we need to get some of those jobs back yep and this is to me this is a a long-term investment it's not all coming today Uh, most of it is or a big chunk of it is them just not paying taxes for a a period of time when they get set up and running Uh, so it's really foregoing money that we would have otherwise collected and at the end of the day it's going to provide those good jobs so i i see this as a good good long-term return on investment i do too now, if uh, if our friend Kelly Elliott would here was here, she would be pointing out that there's a lot of farmland that's going to go because of this. She, she thinks is correct, that, and it's part of the deal here. But is that worth the price of admission? And, and some would argue yes. I understand that some would argue yes, but that's and she was tweeting about that today. So well, I guess I guess you can't eat if you don't have money, right? Well, we're hearing that. we're hearing everybody saying, "Oh my God, did you see the price of the food in the grocery stores?" Um, you know, I'm not making enough money. I'm not. I don't have a good job. I'd like a better job. So it, it's a horrible cycle. <clears throat> if you don't have money, you can't buy food. If you don't have land, you can't grow it. But there's all kinds of land in southwestern Ontario to be farmed. It's out there. What we have to do is we have to ensure that we don't eat up too much of it, that we're cautious of what we do. Well, well yeah, because you're not going to, a plant like this is not going to land up in North Bay or Timmins no. because the no. transportation is just, yeah. it's got to be it's on not the realistic. It's got to yeah. be on the 400 series highways somewhere. Uh, and when you talk about that, that ag land, um, and I don't dispute Kelly's point about that being really important land. Uh, in fact, her and I worked together against the uh, the former provincial government's um, high-speed rail plan because of the damage that it was going to do right across the province through dozens of communities to farmland. But the other side of this is we need cities like London, um, cities like St. Thomas to some extent, um, although it's not a problem there yet. But when you look at the Londons, the Hamiltons, the Bramptons and Burlingtons and, and the Oshawas and stuff, we can't keep saying, well, we're not going to expand our urban growth boundary because <laughs> sprawl. Well, all that does is force 
opportunities like this outside of city limits and into county lands. Urban so you're eating up good farmland that was productive farmland yeah. instead of patches of farmland within the urban setting that really, and again, no disrespect, there are some people who are still farming those, but a lot of them at best are har hobby farms yeah. or they're being farmed just enough for the tax credit for agricultural use. They're not really high productivity pieces of farmland. So if we're not going to be grown-ups and talk about assembling those pieces of land within city limits, then we're gonna to continue to lose that ag land out in the countries. It's no different than the housing file. If we are not going to build housing within the city, then it's gonna to go to Kamoka, it's gonna to go to Thorndale, it's gonna to go to Dorchester, and all we're doing is forcing a longer commute on people. We're not really protecting farmland, Damn we're just you, moving Sean, where we're paving I over the farmland. I love your leadership. <laughs> Beat this drum. The urban growth boundary is a is we, a fairy tale. We can't keep pretending X urban growth oh. is not a problem, and that is eating up way more farmland. Yeah than people want to admit oh, my while we're trying to well, preserve building little patches. Building a subdivision in Lucan, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 going to eat more farmland than doing it in London or wherever it happens to be. I don't yeah. think anyone should be well, disputing and, and, that. And we've lost a lot of big companies that were giving jobs. And so as much as, you know, I hear I hear Kelly, and I love Kelly, but we, we need to, you know, start getting stuff a little bit closer into London, I would hope, you know, and, and, and helping the people that have lost those jobs and, and kind of bringing those jobs back to London or London and area, because even in St. Thomas, it's still closer. Yes. But here, here. Yes. Bang on. Uh, let's uh, shift gears and as we talk about sort of what's going on with the city, let's talk about what the tax increase in the city of London should be. Uh, there was some conversation surrounding an 8% number. Uh, I don't think we're going to get there. I think that's pretty unlikely. Uh, if we want to uh, get uh, get to all the, the priorities in the strategic plan, uh, I know there was a pretty lengthy conversation at committee this week, Sean, surrounding uh, you want to target a 3.9% number. Where are we at on that now? Where, where, where do we think that's going to go? All right, so uh, I'll try and be as quick as I can to, to just provide the background material here. Uh, the staff report to us said, if you want to do everything in the strategic plan, it is going to be an average annual tax increase of more than 8%. So you're not talking about 8% just next year. You're talking about 8% every year for the next four years, a 32% tax hike over the term of this council to do everything that was in the strategic plan. And I said throughout the strategic plan process to colleagues, you are putting things in here that we are not going to be able to pay for. We cannot pay for all of this. And now the rubber is going to hit the road. So we were talking about setting the target for staff planning purposes on, on what they should come in at uh, for a tax increase over the next four years on average. Where we landed was uh, in their report, the staff had said, there's a lot of unknowns right now. Uh, um, Steve would know there's uh, labor negotiations going on. There are Bill 23 impacts that we don't know uh, the outcome of yet. We've got inflationary pressures out there still. So there's a lot of things we've got to give some flexibility for. So they said 2.9 to 3.9 is what we're going to need to maintain services where they are right now. We ended up as a council providing some direction ultimately to stick with that range and add half a percent of new investment uh, so that we can get some things done in the strategic plan. Now, do I believe that we're gonna see 3.9 just to maintain services? No, 
We've already seen the Bank of Canada's cooling down on, on interest rate hikes. In fact, there's indications that before the end of the year, we might see an interest rate decrease. Mm-hmm. Some of that inflationary pressure is going to ease. There was always going to be some room over the four years for new investment. Uh, but basically, we settled on the staff recommendation, um, which is quite different than 8% or the 5.9% that uh, or the 4.9% that some counselors were suggesting. Um, first of all Sean I agree with you it's it's difficult it's very very hard to have a strategic plan and even think about that's what I always used to say when you bring a report in and it doesn't have dollars and cents attached to it it doesn't make any any difference because you you look at the hypothetical idea well this would be fantastic let's do it but nobody knows how much it costs when the when the rubber hits the road and you've got to pay for it that's when that's when it's horrible for people um, and I'm pleased to hear you say that Sean because you understand and I know that Steve is going to talk about it but you're in negotiations there's all kinds of things that are going on but I think part of the problem is educating counselors when I hear a, a, a masked professor, tenured professor, talking about austerity budget, then I think, sir, you there, don't There was some pushback in clear. the room. I'm Nobody process. was talking about cuts. Nobody was talking about reducing services other than the counselor who was alleging that's what an austerity budget is. I, it's absolutely. cuts. Totally, and then nobody was talking cuts, and, and, and like, that was completely. We're talking a three point nine percent increase. Yeah, yes, that's, that's not austerity. That's different. No, no that's, yeah, it's going to be over four percent because no. you're going to actually put the other half in. So part of the problem is that there's all kinds of misinformation out in the community because you've got counselors coming up saying this is an austerity budget. This is like if counselors say stuff and it's quoted in the media, then the public are going to think. Oh my God, that's right. But so many of those counselors around the table don't have a clue what they're talking about. And it's hard to set a budget without them understanding what you're talking about. Uh, that's a job. And for me, hearing that austerity, you know, like, you know, obviously we are the largest union that the city deals with. And if cuts were to come, you know, that would be the backs of my members and I would not support that in any way shape or form you know an eight percent per year for the next four years i don't think we'd see any of you get voted back in if something (laughs) like that were to happen no disrespect i just think that that you know taxpayers would be oh incensed yeah absolutely and Um, rightly incensed yeah absolutely you know for me you know and, and i'm saying this one of the big issues for this city right now is attraction and retention of staff and we are not able to keep the good people we have they're leaving going elsewhere to other paying jobs that seem to increase that so there has to be somewhere along the lines a way to keep the staff and obviously that means spending money and that's a hard that's a hard one for them to do so i get it we have a lot of employees with the city but we do great work and we need to keep those and we also need to attract really good people so how do we do that with the money we've got and, and, and there's a couple of different variables here because there's a negotiation ongoing with, with, with QP 101, Steve, which you well know. But there's also yeah. the negotiation ongoing with London Police Association. Yeah, correct. Yep. And that's a big that's a big slice of the pie, too. So there's a lot of variables here at this point. And, and election and, promises. Oh, well, there's that, that too. <laughs> right, because how many police did, was it? 52 52. Officers? 
Yeah. No, that's what the board is. Twenty six has been funded. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Twenty six have been funded. Um, and and I do very much suspect that the police budget ask is not going to be for the next twenty six. It might be for eight or ten because the other part of that ask is going to come through assessment growth again next year, right. which is actually the appropriate place for that to land. Totally. Because yep. we need these officers because the city is growing in population and in terms of how it's spread out. So assessment growth is the perfect place for this to land. Uh, but I agree with Steve. First of all, his frontline workers need a raise too. Like they are not immune to inflation any more than anyone else is. Yeah. Um, and these are not people who are on the sunshine list, folks. Um, that's not what, what Steve's members are, are earning. Um, and they deserve a raise to help uh, keep their families' heads above water too. Um, we also have to think about, when we're talking about these tax increases, and I heard somebody say during the debate, oh, they'll just make do. <sighs> well, you know, the thing is, there's a lot of other factors that we have to think about in terms of what this property tax increase is. Steve mentioned attraction and retention of staff. Well, one of the things that we've got to address in attracting talent is the fact that right now, with what is functionally a 0% vacancy in our rental market, I, I know that the numbers say it's you know one, one and a half, but functionally, those yeah. units are that are available, no one wants to live in for good reason. We're functionally zero. Uh, availability of, of new townhouses or homes, you know, we're pretty much functionally zero. We've got to have places for workers to come and call home when we do attract them to our city. So we've got to invest in that area. We've also got to remember that the, the taxpayers who are out there right now, the inflationary pressures they're facing, what's going to happen when their mortgage renewals come due? Because guess what? They're not getting a mortgage rate at one and a half, two, two and a half. When folks start renewing their mortgages next year, later this year, through the course of this budget cycle, a lot of them are going to be looking at what Cheryl five, six, six and a half percent. Oh, easily, mm -hmm. easily, because what what else is going to drive it up is the fact that there is a lack of spaces, right? So, <clears throat> yeah, you're you're right. It's it is a huge problem, and part of that is when you touched on it when you talked about increasing the urban growth boundary, that addressing that earlier rather than later will help affordability by having more units. Well, we know that that. We're talking, you know, something like a thousand dollars on an average home if we went ahead and, and tried to do all of this, yeah. um, compounded over those four years. Um, but then think about if they're they're also having to pay a thousand dollars a month extra to cover the interest on their mortgages. Right. Like an eight percent tax increase is a path to more precarious housing and homelessness, not a path to prosperity. There are things in that strategic plan that are nice to have. But we are not in a position to deal with the nice-to-haves. We are in a position to deal with the needs first. That means making sure that our employees uh, have a good contract, that they're able to stay, they're able to take care of their families. That means that we're investing in housing. That means that we're investing in the infrastructure under the ground, the water uh, and sewer facilities so that we're, you know, you don't want to buy a home and flush toilet and not have it disappear <laughs> or turn on the shower and not have clean water come out. So... You want someone to pick up your garbage. Uh, you oh, ideally yeah. you want somebody to pick up your garbage. You want somebody to plow the road so you can get to work during you know this thing we have in Canada called winter. Um, so there's all of those factors that have to come into play. The, now is not a time for blue sky dream Spending ideal home. world scenarios. We got to focus on the practical nuts and bolts. 
And one of the other areas that, that for me is a concern, because we talked the taxes are, are coming down or hopefully are coming down for, but we're not seeing gas prices come down. We're not seeing groceries come down. Things are not affordable. And if we, you know, again, like you said, there are people in precarious situations. And if all those things happen, our people, like, you know, you've got retired people and, and they're living on a pension. And sure, some of them have pensions, some of them have savings, but how how... How much is that going to affect them? And I worry. There's a reason that the uh, ads airing on this station that Alberta is calling yes. uh, have been so successful for the government of Alberta because the cost of living in Ontario has reached the point where people are just packing it in and leaving because they can't see a future where they're going to be able to afford to live here. Yeah, affordability is a big, big uh, draw for a lot of families. So we can do that. If you continue with your thought process and work with the council members so that they understand this is not austerity, this is reality. And um, I have to tell you that I'm impressed with the fact that you've got that mindset. Now, the budget chair, I'm assuming, has that same mindset. It's important that the drivers on council have the opportunity to sell this to the city and also to the, to the members sitting around the table you need those votes well and there's a long process ahead yes uh, in terms is. of the multi-year budget yeah. development and that that will continue uh for the next several months before we really get into the the nitty-gritty of business case uh, evaluations come december uh but we need to get out and and talk to the public this summer we need to hear more and i know we did that last summer during this thing called an election campaign yeah. but that should never stop anyway it's never stopped for me. I continue to to go knock on some doors every summer on some streets in my ward um, and continue to have those conversations. And other councillors need to do the same because what we see from the City Hall perspective is not what people are necessarily experiencing. At their front door. All, yeah. At their front door right. in their daily lives. Yeah. Well, and we all know that there's councillors that work really hard. And there's councillors that aren't working very hard. And maybe that's going to be controversial for me saying that. but. No. I just, I, I'm fed up with some of these counselors that do fuck all. Should that tee you up to go into Sean's letter to council? Yeah, let's talk about Sean's letter uh, to I council. That that was a great <laughs> Didn't you guys talk about that last week? Well, let's talk about it again because you're here. Uh, you and the, the budget chair, Councillor Pelosa, have uh, put forward a letter to, uh, to your colleagues at SPPC that uh, uh, was looked at, was conversed about saying, hey, We've got to make some governance decisions in this city, and and governance working group really has to figure these things out. So, so folks who don't know what was in your letter, just sort of give us the the quick rundown, Sean. So it really was a bit of a laundry list where it's almost the work plan for the next eighteen to twenty months for yeah, the governance right. working group. Yeah. Uh, but we've got to look at a number of things. One of the first things we'll be looking at is moving to full daytime meetings, mm-hmm. uh, no more four p.m. starts, um, and that is which good. I agree with. That is good in so many ways. And listen, technology has changed. Four years ago, who knew what Zoom was? Right. Now anybody you can, can watch see- any council meeting from your yeah. desk yeah. or your home, wherever you are. You don't have to be Not there. just watch. Yeah. Participate. Yeah. Standing yeah. committees, you can, yeah. you can Zoom oh, in and participate. Right. And yeah. we will continue to offer that. So the idea that you have to be able to stand in the gallery and yell at us, I mean, that's that's a 1980s view of the world. It's the 21st century, well, it folks. it can be fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, but you know where my office is, Steve. You can come yell at me anytime. The door's always open. Just bring coffee. Um, uh, so people can participate. It's not a barrier to participation. It's good for our staff. They actually get to go home at night and have dinner with their families and put their kids to bed instead of waiting until 11 o'clock tonight to maybe be available to answer a planning question. In fact, they can do other work in their offices and just 
get a note from the person who's in the meeting to come down your your item will be up in about 15 minutes so there's some efficiencies to see from the staffing perspective yeah. as well some quality of life things so adjusting the schedule but also looking at and I hate the term, and Steve and I have had this conversation uh, outside of this room. I hate the term full-time because well, it's it's not about... F- don't say that. Yeah. That's a Steve Orser line. Well, I'm trying to find Prior- another way to, to label it because it's about the responsibilities and the expectations of the job. What does the job description look like? What is this job? Instead of full-time, how about counselor first? Because too many people have other priorities, their job, Right. So if you're elected as a counselor, your first priority as a, as a counselor. Should, that should be your first priority. That's your first priority. Well, look at so, that. We should have brought, invited Cheryl to the other conversation, Steve. She yes. got to where we landed. like <laughs> After in, a little bit of discussion. In like less than, <laughs> than five times the amount of time. So. Because when you say full-time, I think of Steve Orser and chickens, you know, and you don't want to paint yep. it that way. So do we look at, when we're doing this, we've got to look at all counselors have to rank uh, their standing committee preferences. There's no more saying oh, this is the only one that fits with my work schedule, so I can only do planning or I can only do civic works. Um, other things in the letter say, you know, we do have to look at, at the pay. These counselors are not paid properly. Is that a salary increase? Is it a pay-for-performance sort of situation <laughs> where we, we bring back something they used to do, which is you get a stipend for actually taking on extra work. So if you're chairing a committee, if you're taking on the mayor, the deputy mayor or the budget chair duties, if you are serving on boards and commissions outside of council, which we all are supposed to do, some of us serve on uh, five, six, seven, others serve on one, um, addressing that unfair workload. And how we do that, I, you know, it's open to discussion. We're not going to settle on that tomorrow, uh, but we've got to start having that discussion because... Here's the reality, folks. Well, do you know why it if was removed? If we're not going to make council the, the priority right. here. Don't run. And we're not going to compensate counselors in a way that allows them to make it the priority. Yeah, don't run. Well, the thing is, then we're going to have to go, we're going to have to expand council. We're going to have to look at 16 or 18 counselors because the city's growing. We're almost half a million people. But we're going to have to add wards. Do you understand why they removed the compensation? Because years ago, it was a battle to sit on that committee because you got more money or it was a battle because you sat on an outside organization because it was more money so what what they did at that time they said nobody gets any extra money for sitting on anything so they went from one extreme to the the other other. so there is a middle ground and i agree with that i totally agree with that because you compensate people for what they do and if they don't do they don't get compensated and it's it that's the reality of the world today it really is. I think it just should be, you, you get paid for what you do, period, and it should be fairly distributed amongst all of them, because unfortunately we've, we've seen in past where counselors just disappeared and, and were barely ever there. And what, you know, if my members decided they were just not going to come to work and come in here, there, and whenever, you know, that, that's not right. You know, like, you, you need, there needs to be some accountability. Well, and they wouldn't be your members for very long if they did that repeatedly, right? Correct. They would be terminated but you see counselors that do this and there is no consequences yes they they have stepped down some of them but you know (laughs) for me it's it's still it sends the wrong message and i think that we need to be better about that you know i have a name for that but i said it on the last podcast 
Yes, you did. I don't know if we need to say it again. I, I have to I'm put not. the explicit warning on that podcast. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, I, you know, again, we we need counselors to to step up and do the job, and yep. and we need to figure out a way to make this fair because again it can't fall to a couple people to do the workload and 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 it needs to be across the board they all need to do the same amount of work each one of you is a counselor well and you know i know this sounds self-aggrandizing but the reality is you know pegging the pay to uh the median income this is not a median job well, uh, your hours you know, are crazy. there's a it's Insane. a seven day a week yeah. gig. Crazy. The hours are all over the map. Uh, they are not forty hours. I, like even in an average week, I'm putting in fifty or more. Um, so it's it's not a median job, and it's not a median responsibility. It not if you are focused on this job properly, there's a tremendous amount of responsibility <laughs> that comes with it. Uh, and I know that the uh, the pandemic is behind us, but. You know, there were nights that I was up at two, three o'clock in the morning, worried about, especially in the early days when we didn't have a lot of information, worried about, you know, quite honestly, were we going to have to set up like temporary morgues for body bags and stuff when we did not have very much information in that first three or four weeks? Are we going to have to start using school gymnasiums as, as storage, as temporary morgues? Like that kind of responsibility. That had to happen in other jurisdictions elsewhere in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of responsibility, like. That wears on you. That that you pay a personal price to carry that burden. It's a privilege to carry the burden, but it also comes at a personal cost. And we've got to recognize that. Even now, when we're talking about budget, you know, I I have tossed and turned, worrying about how some of the seniors I know from the community association would stay in their house if we imposed an, a, even a five point nine percent tax increase instead of eight um, percent. I worry about how they're going to stay in their house at three point nine. But I know we have to cover the basics. So. There's a, a level of, if you're doing the job properly, there's a level of responsibility uh, that comes uh, I- into your life. You don't get to leave that at the office at five o'clock. Nor that co- that follows you every, it's always in the back of your nor mind. Nor on the and weekends. So. You work all weekends. You're on the, you have text messages, you have phone calls. It doesn't stop. It's a The much- media calls all the time. Oh. Asking if you can yeah. do round tables and that <laughs> kind of thing. Well, that's the best part of your job. Uh, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think that there does have to be a time for a grown-up conversation mm-hmm. about what this job is and what we need this job to be because it's different here than it is in most communities. Yeah, once again, um, last minute London. Everybody yeah. else is well ahead of us on this issue. And you mentioned two-tier municipalities. That's not something you necessarily would want to be a part of. But in two-tier municipalities, there is sort of a division of workload with some of this stuff. Region of Waterloo, for example, there's Kitchener City Council, there's Waterloo City Council, yeah. and then there's Regional Council. So you guys are taking care of all the same stuff, but there's varying levels of government within the region that, that handles it, right? So you don't have the same type of responsibilities at the gig. So it's it, it, we are in a different spot than just about any other municipalities in Ontario when it comes to this particular issue yep single yep. tier yeah. and uh, the unfortunately you don't get the money from from that multiple tiers get money and they share it because they share it regionally too so like there is a different person although sometimes they get into pissing matches with each other and and end up moving nowhere because you know when you think and i think about it with sort of a tourism london hat perspective on there's a bid on a convention or uh, a sporting event well, we want all the hotels to be in our community. Well, no, you got to share them. Well, you've got all the facilities, so you're going to get all the the spin, and so they end up 
not getting the bid because they're fighting over who gets what slice of the pie where at least in london we know it's it's our pie we're going to eat the whole thing yeah but so we are also getting all the homeless and all the people in yeah. need that come to london so i mean <clears throat> there is a balance and um I, I have to say that I've really changed my mind in talking about a counselor first focus on money and jobs and responsibility and daytime meetings because the world has changed. London has changed and grown significantly. So we're not a backwaters town. So I think it's time to step up to the plate and look at it. And the other thing that, that I believe strongly is I believe in governance, that I believe in accountability. Like, You've been appointed for four years as deputy mayor. The mayor's away. You do his job. You do your job, his job. I did that yesterday. I did that Monday. I did that. Yeah, I've done that a few times. And you don't get compensated for doing extra work. And nor are so. It's either you've got to run as a package. So the mayor picks his team, and I don't like teams either. Um, But I, I like. I would love to see. Because we have no training grounds for mayors. So it's a person who jumps in from a counselor. Can you imagine if we had people running for head of the budget and running for deputy mayor? Well, I almost, uh, and I'm not sure which one of you suggested it last week, but somebody suggested that maybe the way to do it is to have an extra uh, pot of money in the mayor's budget and then allow the mayor to To compensate compensate for duties assigned. Um, And actually, I thought that was a a neat idea. Um, There's some benefit to that. For this term. Um, where you give the mayor X number of dollars and, okay, I'm assigning this as the stipend to the deputy mayor and this as the, the stipend to the budget, budget chair, chair and this is the stipend to the person who's maybe going to chair a special task force for me on homelessness or, or jobs or whatever it might be. Uh, but give that uh, give the mayor's office and, and the only person elected citywide the flexibility to say, okay, I'm asking some of my counselors to take on extra work. I am going to compensate them from my budget to do that. Yeah, uh, but and I, I think there's some value to that I approach. think I think it's valuable for the deputy mayor and the head of the budget. Those are full-time, a lot of work um, for a long time. You take on a task force, that's part of the responsibility of being a counselor. Now, I, I will say the, the one piece that came up last week, and I, I know you guys talked about maybe the mayor and the deputy mayor should run on a ticket. Mm-hmm. Uh, listen, I, I will say I, I'm not a great fan of that idea because as much as I uh, have a long-standing uh, friendship with Josh and we, we get along on a number of things, there are some things that we disagree vehemently on. on. Um, And I I wouldn't want a deputy mayor who's just there as a rubber stamp for the mayor. No. Um, In fact, I think it's my job as deputy mayor to walk into the mayor's office and tell him to pull his head out of his backside when I think he's wrong. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It is. It is. I'm making sure the explicit label doesn't have to go on this podcast. But but that's why you need to run citywide so that we have a chance to elect our top three people and the accountability is to the city because that's where it should be mayor deputy mayor and financial budget keeper ah. that's uh is not in the letter and that's a whole can of worms that i don't know if we want to get into they're going to do governance <laughs> but they're the letter is to it. start the discussion that's yes, right and once enough. we have that discussion with counselors then we do need to have that broader discussion with, with the, the public, public. yeah so uh, I, I want people thinking about this because it's going to come in a few months where we are going to turn to the public and say this is what we got as kind of a draft model. What do you think? Yeah, good. Yeah. 
let's uh, let's take a break here because we've got no more time. Uh, so thanks very much to Cheryl and to Steve and to Sean for doing the show with us. Thanks very much to all of you for listening, downloading, subscribing to the Craig Needles podcast. Appreciate you listening to the Friday Roundtable. Enjoy whatever it is you're doing this weekend as you listen to this and beyond, and we'll talk to you next week. The Craig Needles podcast is a presentation of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network. 